How's it going, everybody? It's me, Joe. Welcome back to the MMA Frequency. We are here yet again another week. Uh, UFC, Arnold Allen versus Max Holloway was last weekend. We've got uh, a fight card coming up this weekend. Uh, Sergey Pavlovich versus Derek Blades. And then we've actually got some interesting fights from outside of the UFC for once. But let's start running it down. All right. I didn't... I've got, I've got a little bit. Basically what I previewed yet again. Uh, Brendan Royval versus Mateus Nicolau. So this was a great, great performance by Brendan Royval. Nicolau tried to use lateral movement, feints. He did the thing that he always does where he somehow managed to get knockout Max Chanel. Uh, but... He was doing that same thing, staying at range, just trying to jab away, piece away at Brendan Royval from a distance. And <laughs> Brendan Royval said, no thanks. Uh, and got him with a standing knee trying to come move inwards, which was really, really nasty. Two knee knockouts on this card, but uh, clipped him with a right hand over the top and just sent him careening to the ground. Great performance by Brendan Royval. Did it quick, too. Knocked him out in like three minutes. I have no idea why he was betting under. Ugh. Recency bias in this sport is a little intense sometimes. Then Rafa Garcia fought Clay Guida. This one was a real bummer. There wasn't even any like grappling or anything. Rafa Garcia just spent the whole fight just walking Clay Guida down with the 1-2. A couple of level changes, I guess. But like... And yeah, I guess he did some head movement. He like stepped out of the way of the return strikes from Clay Guida. But Clay was also just walking on to a lot of the damage from Garcia. Uh, and, yeah, people are calling it, like, a star-making performance. I guess it is the best performance in his UFC career so far, but I have a little quibble with the star-making part. Another really, really good performance, Pedro Munoz versus Chris Gutierrez. Beautiful, beautiful performance by Pedro. Kind of styled on him a little bit. Uh, dropped Gutierrez at the start of the first with a beautiful right. I was, sorry, I have to take some accountability on this. I was completely, completely wrong about this fight. Pedro still banging out great fights at almost 40. I salute to you, good sir. Also, drop that sound. Drop that clip. The gate has been kept. I forgot to put it in last week when I was talking about that fight, but... Okay. Uh, yeah, he dropped him at the start of the first round. Uh, beautiful right hand. Spent the rest of the round riding it out, grappling with him. Just hitting ground and pound. Uh, which rattled the hell out of Chris Gutierrez, who spent essentially the, the rest of the fight getting pressured backwards by Pedro. Even when Gutierrez was more active with his hands and throwing back at Pedro, he was still on the back foot. Uh... Pedro was also really, really... Yeah, he was just throwing the, the, the jab, uh, throwing the outside leg kick, checking any kick that came back, throwing a lot of body kicks. And not everything was connecting. Uh, and Pedro didn't really do a lot of, like... He didn't really, like, swing any hooks or, like, overhands or, like, lead with, like, any kind of, like, outstanding strike. Not everything was connecting, but he was just throwing the volume that kept Chris Gutierrez moving backwards. He was afraid if he moved in, he was going to get dinked on the side of the head again and get dropped. So, really, really good performance by Pedro Munoz. I, yeah, I mean, you just have to... 
And I, uh, it's shame for me to say, like, hypocritical for me to say, sitting in my chair right now, my comfortable chair, to say, uh, you, you gotta, you gotta go on the offensive after you've gotten rattled like that. But really, the only way to win that fight, uh, Young Kudalaba versus Tanner Bozer. I feel like 80% of the time, my iron law of weight cutting works out. You know, if you go down from a bigger weight class to a smaller weight class and you do the cut right, you're going to be bigger than people. If you're in a smaller weight class and go up and you do the cut right, maybe you're going to be able to, like, it, there's inherent, like, advantages and disadvantages. And if you do them wrong, which the structure of the UFC incentivizes quick fight turnarounds and doing your weight cut wrong, not everybody can be John Jones and take two years of their life to move up to a different weight class. So I felt that the, the law was going to hold true. Tanner Bozer looked great uh, at light heavyweight, but this is one case where the weight, call, weight cut law did not pan out. Ian Kudalaba walked right through the guy. Uh, he... he Led him with an overhand and then just picked a beautiful one-two because he, he had his hand so high and scared of the overhand and just, just all over Tanner Bozer. Even double-legged him. Double-legged him. Uh, Ian Kudalaba, still a bum, but great performance. Congrats, Mr. Hulk. You've earned another three free UFC losses before getting cut. Hooray! Also, Dustin Jacoby got touched up by Azamat. Merzikhanov. I did not watch that. Why would I watch that? I simply do not care. I always put the gold star on people that I saw fight in real life. Uh, and I saw him pick up a great finish at the Long Island card. I still do not care. That boy is still boring as hell. Boring. He lost to John Salter. He lost to David Branch. He's not that good. Uh, I called my shot once again. On the co-main event, we called our shot once again uh, for Billy Corntillo, Corntillo versus Edson Barboza because the literal first strike Barboza threw in this fight was a body kick that made Billy Q wince. I was like, hmm, interesting. And, you know, Billy Q tried to be offensive. He tried to put the pace on Edson, but every single shot he gave, Edson sent back, and those leg kicks were just brutalizing poor Billy, just piecing him up. And it's kind of like difficult to difficult to even describe how badly the body hurt work was hurting Billy Cornello. Uh, there was one kick to the body that made Billy drop his hands for so long that Edson just bopped a clean one two right on his head. It was it was a really really great performance by Edson, and Billy staying in it. He kept trying to walk Edson down to the cage and. Kept going for the takedowns, which, once again, talked about it before this fight. Called my shot. But Edson would circle out and around, get off the cage each and every time. But Billy kept going for it. So and it was like the second or third time he, he, he tried to push him off to the cage. He, he, threw, he threw a jab, tried to get down low. I don't, I don't even know if he was going for a takedown or a body strike or whatever. But he ducked, and Barboza just got a picture-perfect knee coming up. Clobbered him. Got the finish. Beautiful, beautiful performance by Edson Barboza. Uh, the main event, Max Holloway got the job done in style. Kind of cruised to a decision, not going to lie. Uh, looked really, really good. He was using his body work. He was using his kicks. He was super defensively sound. 
mostly across all five rounds. Uh, Arnold Allen's left hand, that that big southpaw left. It was a lot of danger early in the strike, in the early in the fight, and he spent a lot of the first round trying to set it up, and he did. But Max was dictating the pace from the very very beginning. Uh, he got incredibly comfortable with his hands. He was opening up with the one twos, finishing combinations to the body. I was like, sheesh. At some points, like he was, he was looking clean. He was looking really, really technical. Uh, but yeah, Allen's best round was the second. He spent the first round setting up that left hand, and he started out on the offensive. Got Max with a lot of strikes. Like it wasn't BS volume. He was hitting him with the left, and it was also his best round with the jab. But after the second round, Max just started to pull away with it. He neutralized the jab and just started outstriking him everywhere. <laughs> outstriking him with the body shots. Outstriking him with the leg kicks. Popping him to the head. The lateral movement was also incredible. Quite literally walking circles around him at some points in the third, fourth, and fifth. I don't mean to go... I don't I don't feel the need to pour over this fight in detail. It was just a great, great performance by Max. Better performance than the air fight. Uh, long may he reign. King of Hawaii. What a guy. No news. Nothing interesting happened as far as I'm aware of. Oh, there actually is news. The... Co-main event from this weekend. What a heartbreaker. It was Ricky Simone versus Song Dong. They didn't get canceled, but we're just not getting to see it. Uh, they moved it to the card next week because the main event fell through. I'm actually not sure what the main event was. It fell through. Let's... Oop. Ob- obnoxious clicking noises. Oh, yes. It was Armin versus Renato Maicano. That's a heartbreaker, Yeah. That fight was going to be the main event next weekend, and that got canceled. But now, Song Yadong and Ricky Simone are signed for a five-round fight. That rocks. Uh, I don't know if I mentioned that Charles Oliveira pulled out of the Darius fight for the UFC card in May, but they have a new main event, and it's five rounds. Awesome. Gilbert Burns versus Bilal Muhammad. Gilbert, Gilbert, please, please, please get rid of this guy. Please, Gilbert, please. I'm begging you, man. Come on. Do something for me for once. And then, yeah, the UFC card, I'm not super interested in it. I'm going to finish off with the main event because it's funny. But there are interesting fights from other promotions this weekend. Bellator's got a card this weekend. So does one. Uh, There are a few fun fights on the Bellator card. Aaron Pico and Mads Burnell are both going to style on whoever clowns Bellator serves up to fight them. And there was going to be a fight between uh, Ray Borg and Kyoji Horiguchi, but word literally broke this morning that Ray Borg cannot make weight. Classic Ray Borg weight cut choke. Uh, what a shame. Horiguchi's always a great out. Would have loved to see him fight. But the main event of the card this weekend is... Hatchy Mix versus Rafael Stas, which is going to be really, really interesting. It's been the conclusion of like a lovely bantamweight tournament, which, in my opinion, these tournaments are essentially the only thing that Scott Coker's money laundering enterprise does properly. Uh, Sergio Pettis is still the official champ. Rafael Stas is just the interim champ. But Bellator gonna Bellator. Apparently, he's fighting. Patricio Pitbull is going down at 135, and they're fighting. So, like, God only knows what's going to happen there. Like, if Pitbull wins, is he going to actually fight whoever wins this fight? Why would they just not have 
had to sit out for a couple more months even after he's back from surgery. What do you... Oh, oh, Scott, Scott, Scott. But these guys, this fight, is both really, really interesting. Uh, Ruffian Stotts is a very well-rounded striker and a good grappler. But Patchy Mix, king of the backpack. He will run you onto the fence and jump for your back before you've hit it. Uh, he's got the most beautiful, unbreakable body triangle in the world. He's just been rocking out in these tournament fights. He's looked really, really good. I couldn't get to see his uh, fight against Megabed Megabedov again, unfortunately. Bellator didn't release it on YouTube, and I have no idea how to run tape on their cards. I don't think they stream it anywhere. Maybe it's like Paramount Plus or something. They're not paying money for that. So, <laughs> but I did watch his fight. I, I, I mean, it was too painful to watch in full, but I watched a little bit of his fight against Kyoji Horiguchi. And yeah, he looked, he looked incredible in that one. And then uh, Stotts had a great KO against Juan Archuleta, but is also coming off of, I don't know if it's a controversial decision against Danny Sabatello or if that one judge is dumb. Like, like people were chirping about it, but Stotts was absolutely doing more damage off of his back and in a lot of the grappling exchanges in that fight. But that's the kicker. He was still being put in the disadvantageous position. He was winning because he was doing more, more damage, but... If Patchy Mix was on his back and not Danny Sabatello, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to guess that Patchy Mix is gonna be a little bit more active on the guy's back. So, can Stotts even keep the fight on the feet? Can he crack the code? Can he break the unbreakable body triangle on the ground, or is the guy gonna spend 25 minutes hanging on him? It's gonna be really, really interesting. Hopefully, hopefully it's gonna be interesting. It would be class in Bellator for one of these fights to be a snooze. The late heavyweight tournament ended like a no contest of like a headbutt. I don't remember exactly what happened, but they had to, for the Nemkov and Corey Anderson had to fight again. Incredible stuff. And then one has a card this weekend. There's some MMA on it, but it's it's Nango time, baby. It's Nango time, baby. Uh, the absolute, what a Chad. The king of 145-pound Muay Thai. Uh, has been for a few years now. He was like the first, he's the first, I believe he's the only person to ever hold because one, really, really interesting actually, they kind of, have, they have a bunch of multi-belt weight classes. So, you know, you get like the 135, the 135 kickboxing, the 135 Muay Thai, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, Nango is the 145 Muay Thai belt and when they initiated it or like made it active, he won it and it's just nobody's beat him. He's just the only person. The whole title history is just him. But poor Liam Harrison was the last guy I got saw got fed to the machine. But there's another Brit lining up to fight. So Jonathan Haggerty is challenging for the 145-pound title. And maybe we'll see if he's got any sauce in him, if he's got any juice. Uh, Haggerty's very young in his career still. Kind of a little... He was the first... He was also a founding champ. He was a 135-pound champion. I'm describing them by their weight classes because one has, like, they're more like one up for some reason. So I believe the flyweight belt is 135 and the bantamweight belt is 145. So I'm just going to call them by the weight instead of the name so my domestic audience does not get confused. All three of you. But yeah. He's been kind of aimless since losing that belt to Rod Tang. He was the first ever 135-pound Muay Thai champion won, and then he lost two consecutive fights to Rod Tang. 
but he's on the right side of 30, and he's only had 20 fights. However, Nango, even though he's on getting up there closer to 40, he has over 300 fights. I'm going to say the experience differential uh, is definitely on his side, and he's not looked like he's slowing down anytime soon. So you can say that maybe Haggerty's going to keep like developing or whatever, but his time in Muay Thai is like dwarfed by Nango's experience. And he's just, he's magnificent in there. He's perfectly technical. His power's insane. He doesn't do the Rod Tang gimmick, where he's like, ah, hit me, or hit me. But he takes everyone's best punches, keeps moving forward. And Haggerty's good. I watched a little bit of the tape, just some highlights and the one one fight from last year. But the one thing I've seen is that he's not really afraid of mixing it up physically. When he gets in the, he loves to get in the clinch. He loves to try and hit off the clinch. She tries to like push into people and force like leg sweeps and stuff. He also has a picture perfect spinning elbow. It's a really beautiful spinning elbow. He looks like a fun boxer, but my prediction as always is Nango by murder. <laughs> Nango by beating this man to death. Uh, the, once again, the fight night this weekend. Not that interesting at all, but I'm a weirdo, so don't miss the opener on this card. Brady Houston versus Anand Baccarel is probably going to be really, really good. Probably going to be a banger. Uh, Baccarel already has a tried and true banger resume in the division, and Brady Houston is a really, really interesting grappling prospect. He's got a 1-1 record in the UFC, but he's coming off of a really gutsy win off of getting, he got dropped like a rock in the first round of his last fight and still uh, came back to win it. And then he had an absolute just banger, one of those whirlwind fights against Ricky Tercios. Houston's grappling pace is super, super aggressive. He's going to be trying to jump on Denad Barcarell the entire fight. He's It's going to be like a really, really classic kind of striker-grappler mix-up. He's a stone-cold striker. So I'm really, really excited for this one. Uh, Rene Aya is fighting. He's been around forever. Always a fun out. Uh, Jeremiah Wells is seemingly being fed Matthew Semmelsberger. Maybe that'll turn out to be interesting eventually. Bobby Green is fighting Jared Gordon. Uh, Bobby Green is coming off of two really, really fun fights. It's a really, really bad, fun uh, fight against Drew Dober. It was a banger, even though he lost. And Jared Gordon is coming off of a quote-unquote decision loss to Patty Pimblett. Uh, where the hell is Grant Dawson where you need him? This is just like such a strange fight. I feel like it's really just trying to capitalize off of Jared Gordon being in the co-main event of a pay-per-view. Because Bobby Green is definitely at like, a solid level above Jared Gordon. Jared Gordon really is not a great grappler for the division, and unless he utilizes it first and effectively, I feel like Bobby Green is going to just piece him up. Beat his ass. <laughs> uh, Brad Tavares and Bruno Silva are in the co-main event. Instead of any of like a couple lighter weight fights that are more interesting down the card, uh, I'm truly not interested in either of them, so... We're hitting the skip button. And then, the main event. Uh, Sergey Pavlovich, probably best still described as enigmatic in this division. Because this is just a barrel of things you don't know about the guy yet. He didn't really spend much time banging around with the heavyweight unranked jokers. You know what I mean? Unlike a guy like Romanov, who cleaned out 
every single heavyweight scrub, and we got a lot of footage on him doing it. Uh, he didn't... Uh, and then when he got his step up in matchmaking, he fought a Derek Lewis, who's clearly now, we can all say, is declining, and Tai Tuifasa, who had less than three months to recover from a legendary ass-whooping by Cyril Ghosn. Uh, he's never seen a second round in his UFC career, and I don't believe his back has hit the mat since his debut fight in the UFC, but... That part is the second massive question mark over Pavlovich, because that fight was with Alistair Overeem, and old man Overeem just laid him out and laid on him for a whole round and knocked him, knocked him out. TKO'd him. Uh, Pavlovich has a lot of strengths. We've seen that. We've even seen that he can have good striking when he's not just winging hooks at guys' heads, but essentially everything else about him besides his striking, and even a lot of his striking, it's a big... Giant question mark. We don't know anything about his durability, his cardio, anything. However, the other side of this matchup, Curtis Blades is so well-defined, his game plan so completely published, that there is almost like nothing to say about the guy. I, I've definitely softened on him. I don't know if I've talked about him on here before, but I've made him out to be a loser if I have... Because this is kind of what I felt about him. I've softened on I've softened on him a little bit. He's definitely good. And even though he did, uh, I we saw the new and improved quote-unquote striking in the Chris Dawkins fight. I'm not believing the, fight, the, the hype still. He's a great, great wrestler, but I've seen this exact same movie two years ago when he deployed new and improved striking on Derek Lewis. And then the, the shittiest single leg of all time. Yeah, sorry, Curtis. But the thing that does separate Curtis Blades from a lot of wrestlers in the UFC is the fact that he can actually keep a guy down in the center of the octagon. He can do that draggy, smothering style of getting them up against the fence and mat return, and they get up against the fence and you mat return, and they get up against the fence. But a lot of the time when Curtis Blades just gets a guy down in the middle of the octagon, he keeps him there for the round. Uh, obviously, Curtis's strategy here should be to invest heavily in this wrestling. Should be. Uh, use that striking, that new and improved, awesome, patient striking to stay on the outside of Pavlovich's range. Maybe kick his leg or something. I don't, maybe that will work. Use use the jab. And just avoid those spammy hook attacks. I don't think Pavlovich is going to go for the spammy hook of, hook attacks that he used on Tua Vasa and Derek Lewis because he knows that a reactive double leg might... A reactive double leg from Curtis Blades might literally end the fight for Pavlovich. He might go down one time and then, yeah, just get his ass whooped. So he needs to stay wary of the takedown. Kind of keep Curtis away from him a little bit too until hopefully... Hopefully if you manage to get maybe like stuff a takedown or two, you change the thing and then maybe Curtis is trying to strike with you and then you can knock him out. But, uh, yeah, I'm leaning towards Curtis Blades on this one. There's just so many, so, so many questions about Pavlovich. It's just completely undefined in so many factors. And I would not be surprised at all if Blades just took him down and ruined his night. Interesting weekend of fights for once. But that's going to be everything for me. We're at the end of our notes. So, I'm Joe. Even another episode of the MMA Frequency. And I'm going to say, bye-bye.